Welcome to the Upriser podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner. Upriser focuses on technology conversations centered in the future of work and how new technologies are applied and how work evolves. The Upriser podcast is brought to you by Topcoder. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Upriser podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner, VP at Topcoder. I'm extremely excited to bring on today's guest, who is Hugo Finkelstein. Hugo is the co-founder and CEO of Rise, which is a digital freelance marketplace empowering the independent workforce. Rise currently focuses on design and content writing and has, I think, over a thousand professionals inside their talent network. But Hugo's got a really cool, really cool history. So he's got a fascinating background, specifically in blockchain and the ways that it's applied, some really interesting blockchain concepts. And he's taken that and he's applied that to his talent platform, Rise. We're going to talk about that and other things today. He's also a Forbes contributor. You'll hear about this. He's a serial entrepreneur. And we're going to hit up all that and more on today's episode of Upriser. But without further ado, I'll get my, my great French in there, Hugo. Welcome, Hugo Finkelstein, to the uh, the Upriser pod. Hugo, how's it going, man? How you doing? It's great. It's great. Starting the year right with this podcast. Thank you, Clinton. Thank you. You are, you know, uh, the, the Upriser podcast was launched in 2020 when, when it was very evident that we weren't going anywhere for a little bit. We're like, okay, let's let's get a podcast going because uh, it's you, you might not know this. I, I forget if I shared it yet, but but Upriser as a philosophy is actually meant to be, um, we, we set it up from a top quarter perspective. We're like, you know what? We want to do like a global, a, a global audience um, event that really is focused on all things, uh, on-demand talent, uh, gig economy, so it could get us outside just of our circle of what Topcoder does inside crowdsourcing and what Topcoder, Topcoder does with on-demand talent. So we could have just more conversations, kind of a bigger tent and invite more people in who are just plain interested in, well, how do I wield gig economy talent? How do I wield freelancer talent? You know, irregardless if it's Topcoder talent or talent on rise or talent over on Upwork and kind of like who cares like it the the movement to uh to use on demand talent is so sincere and really really growing um and that's where the the idea of upriser came from so we launched it in 2020 with these big aspirations of having our, our annual a, a new annual event and that all got scuttled so we're like all right let's just do a podcast for now <laughs> we'll we'll bring the other stuff back later so um but that and 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 you happen to be the first guest in 2021. So oh, wow. to a, yeah, so to a better year, <laughs> and uh, and we'll, we'll all we'll get to we'll get to hopefully do that that physical event for Upriser this year. In the meantime, we'll just keep on growing the uh, growing the network of folks who seem to care about uh, on-demand talent and again the use of like gig economy and, and all those things. So Hugo, I do I do want to dive in. I of course I of course did my sleuthing, which means I did a did a little bit of research of you on LinkedIn and, and elsewhere. You know, uh, nothing nothing too too deep. Um, and I noticed that you and I had a very very close near common bond. And I wonder if you uh, if you were able to pick up pick up what that was by chance. Uh, I have no idea. Would please uh, shed some light. Yeah, you know what? It's probably an unfair question because you know <laughs> your stuff is actually public on LinkedIn. But our our near bond, uh, very it's kind of a near miss here. Was um, I was about I was about a pen stroke away from going to Babson uh, University myself. So Babson right. was I went to yeah I went to UConn. I I went as a pharmacy major because um, they had a 
six-year doctorate program, like an accelerated doctor, a five-year, I think it was, which I qualified for. Um, and then I quickly realized that I didn't want to be a pharmacist. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I ended up picking up a guitar instead of my biology book. And then I had a lot of fun doing that. But I was super, super close to doing international business at Babson. And I was always kind of, uh, kind of pulled to that and gravitationally kind of interested in Babson. How was, how was your time at Babson? What did, what did, it, uh, what did it do for you? Uh, I would say it was uh, life-changing, honestly. Yeah, you know, I come from a French education background, so most of my friends either stayed in France or went to Montreal in Canada with French picking. I was actually one of my only friends to stay in the U.S. Uh, for university, and the uh, people I met, the teachers I met, the advisors I met were just incredible. Uh, overall, uh, it was an amazing experience that I wouldn't take uh, back any second. Are, are you still affiliated with the university? Do you, do you, yeah. uh, you know, any alumni things or did they call you back to talk on such things like we're going to talk about today? Uh, not yet, but two of our advisors are Babson professors, actually. Very cool. Well, uh, you right. know what? Once they hear this podcast, they're like, oh, <laughs> we got an alum- alumnus who's, who's you know, really, really top notch in these, uh, these emerging uh, technologies. They're going to they're gonna call you back. And I, I envision, I'll get my crystal ball out here. I envision that you end up getting like one of those, you know, professorial side gigs where, where you, could do, you could do a little side hustle and be, be a professor on blockchain and, and those technologies. I would love to. We'll make it happen. We, are, we're, <laughs> we're, we will will it into existence, which is, which is super cool. So, you know, when I was looking throughout, um, looking throughout your, your, your background and, and the time at Babson and beyond that, your professional history, there was really like, for me, kind of like two key themes kept coming up and seems, seems to me that you were kind of, you kept gravitating around these or they had some pull for you. And I think they've kind of coalesced in, in what is Rise and we'll talk about that quite a bit. But one mm-hmm. was, you know, uh, towards the idea of you leaning into the, the sharing and the gig economy. Like that was certainly everything you've touched so far is, is seems to be based in the idea of, of, of that shared economy or the gig economy specifically. And the other is really focused on the emergence of, of like edge tech and new technologies and specifically blockchain, the application of how the heck you use blockchain. So mm-hmm. how did those two things kind of pop up in your world? Did they, did they pop up simultaneously? Did they pop up in different different timelines? Uh, and I guess, how did, they, how did they converge early for you? I think I'll need to explain my first endeavor to, to dive into this subject. Sure. Um, so essentially, while I was at Babson, uh, and essentially after the first year at Babson, you move off campus. It's like a tradition uh, within uh, the, the student community. You move off campus, you go to Boston. Uh, I essentially got my first department with my roommates. At the end of the year, we had a problem where we couldn't sell all the furniture that we acquired throughout the year and we didn't know what to do with it. So we essentially left it on the street for other students to come pick it up. And we thought, me and my roommate, why don't we you know, create a platform where students, only students, would be able to sell their secondhand products essentially to other students. So that was my first entrepreneurial journey while I was at Labson. I created this marketplace. So that's where I got to see, you know, the dynamics uh, and mechanism of two-sided marketplaces with sellers and buyers, suppliers and, uh, you know, the demand. So that's how I saw, you know, the, the kind of my first glance into the sharing economy. After Babson, after I graduated, I eventually moved on 
from that endeavor for many different reasons uh, and got in touch with a French entrepreneur that was working in the blockchain slash crypto space uh, and was launching a cryptocurrency exchange back in New York. So uh, I got on the phone with him. He told me, hey, Hugo, uh, we need some help on the marketing uh, aspects of our business. We're launching an ICO. So for those of you who don't know, it's uh, an initial coin offering, essentially mm -hmm. an IPO with cryptocurrencies where you can sell your tokens and raise money from pretty much anyone, anyone in the world, essentially. Uh, so I helped them. Uh, I joined the team. I worked a lot on uh, all the marketing strategies and endeavors, uh, which were global at the time, since we could sell and you know, market to the entire world, and developed many strategies with influencers, with content writers, with journalists, uh, and other like crypto community members all around the world, uh, which led to an extremely successful ICO with that company. And following that, my, it was essentially in the 2017, so at the peak of, uh, you know, people call it the ICO bubble uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we got, after this ICO, a lot of demand from other projects that were in need of strategies, in need of knowledge, in need of connections to experts in the field so that they could also, you know, raise a successful ICO. Mm -hmm. So my boss came up to me and said, hey, Hugo, why don't we start a marketing slash uh, blockchain agency for other you know, blockchain-related projects that are looking to build their community on a global standpoint and uh, help them achieve their ICO. So for two years after that, so from 2017, 2017 sorry, till 2019, I worked on this agency and helped a couple of different clients build communities and raise their ICO. Through that endeavor, I got the experience of working with tons of freelancers, so independent, you know, either independent contractors or uh, just you know, part-time workers that were independent, uh, and got to use all the large incumbents that we know about, uh, such as you know, Fiverr, Upwork, 99Design. Uh, and that was really you know, how I got to see, how I got to experience the blockchain uh, you know, field for the first time, and then uh, got a sense of what the this new you know sharing slash gig economy was like, uh, which led us to build Rice eventually. But uh, that's how essentially I got you know these two uh, aspects of uh, of uh, my career. Yeah, but and I, I think the some of the important pit stops there are like the experience that you got leveraging um, different crowds while you were doing that work. Like you just, you just rattled off a couple there. What were your, you know, so you're, you're doing that as kind of a, you know, at that point as a, as, as an, as, as an advisory, but certainly operating as kind of a small business, helping, yep. helping these other companies attempt to ICO, like you were saying, um, what were some of your first impressions of, of going out to freelancer markets yourself and kind of really kind of like getting your hands dirty? You know, like what were yeah. some of the things that were sticky for you or some of the challenges of like not being, you know, instead of, instead of being like, oh, I would just go hire a designer versus no, I'm going to, I'm going to head to a platform yeah. and, and tap into a stream talent of, of designers. What were some of the early lessons that you kind of had to uh, either muddle through or, or learn from? And, and obviously you created a talent platform yourself. So you, you were, you, you, you took a shining to it, but be cool to understand if there was any, any, a couple of early indications or early, early things that set you on a path like this. 
Yeah. So, you know, when we got the first demand from uh, uh, first couple of companies for uh, these uh, these marketing strategies and endeavors, we knew that uh, we needed to go with on-demand cost-efficient talent to scale up or down based on how many clients we would have and not engage. I mean, we couldn't engage on, you know, full-time hires because we didn't know down the line if, first of all, if the ICO market was going to still be a thing if we would still have clients. So we had to go with a very flexible you know, way of getting talent for us to help uh, our clients. So uh, we had two options, either go through our own network, which we did. We asked around, hey, you know, do you have a designer or a content writer uh, that you know of that, would be, you know, that could join our team? Uh, flexibly. Uh, and as we went through that effort, we also looked into other, you know, these marketplaces. Uh, and when leveraging these marketplaces, we, I mean, we had very successful endeavors, you know, and some that were the exact opposite, you know, mm-hmm. where it took us an extremely long time to find the right talent at, a, uh, at the right price. Uh, and that was, you know, essentially available for us uh, at the time we needed it. So we had a kind of mixed uh, mixed feelings about these marketplaces, but essentially, we still managed to go through uh, with all of our clients. We had the right talent at the right time, uh, so really, uh, you know, working with freelancers for these two years were, was uh, very uh, crucial for us and, and but, very uh, uh, shed some light on our endeavors. Yeah, it sounds like it was a bit of considering, and we'll get to Rise in a second. But considering what you ended up building and continue to build with Rise, a lot of those experiences it almost became like marketing research, right? Like, like yeah. almost like a user experience research of, well, what were, what were some of the moments um, that were kind of a pain versus yeah. which platforms do it more elegantly, right? So yeah. that's, that's something we, we constantly talk about at TopCoder. Now, you know, TopCoder is certainly focused on the enterprise. It, it's, you know, for the most part, mainly focused on enterprise technology projects. However, it doesn't mean it's not influenced by what are really kind of like B2C applications of gig, gig economy labor in the sense that apps and technology platforms have, have made it, the good ones have made it so seamless, have made it so so easy to access the good talent and begin work, which is really what it's all about. It's like, how quickly can I be assured I'm getting somebody good or a, a, a pool of good people and that I can get consistent good work out of them so I could just treat them as if they're just another piece of, of the, the team. And yeah. it's not some offset. Yes, you know, gig takes planning and thought to use um, in a way that it, it is ingratiated in a normal way. And that takes some forethought and it definitely takes some planning and just and experimenting with. And again, the good platforms, they just make it so. They make it so that it is possible. So it can be um, just part of the way you get work done. Nothing, exactly. nothing special, not like it's some unicorn thing. You have to rub a lamp so a genie comes out and you make a wish. It just becomes a way in which you work. And frankly, with all the plat- the communication platforms and the collaboration platforms that have come online the last five, five to 10 years, um, it makes it really feasible. You know, So it sounds to me like you took those lessons, you had the experience with the technologies we'll talk a, a bit more about, you had the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, from uh, kind of from Jump Street, right? From, uh, <laughs> from, uh, from Babson and probably, probably before even uh, attending Babson. Um, and then it was probably time. You, you saw an opportunity there and then you go out and then you create this, this new talent network Rise. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? Tell the audience, you know, who the heck is Rise for? Who, who should yeah. care about Rise and, and what, uh, you know, what, what's, who's it serving? Yeah, 
So essentially, Rise is a talent network for designers and copywriters. So people that produce visual or written content that mostly touches marketing efforts of companies. Hmm. Uh, but for these people to get access to clients, to get exposure to clients and to collaborate with these clients. On the client side, uh, I mean, right now we're, you know, we launched a couple of weeks ago uh, and we were touching different kinds of organizations and different industries. But for now, I would say that it's mostly for startups that are looking for easy, efficient um, and cost-efficient ways to, uh, to uh, you know, get started with content, pretty much. So is it, it almost, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost appears to me that like, again, the lessons you learned when you were going through, okay, I've got to sift through four or five different platforms and some are good experiences, some are bad experiences. And you at that point were in, a, in kind of a startup mentality yourself. Yeah. You're trying to serve, it seems like that exact market, right? So yeah. they need to stay nimble. They need to stay lean. They've got to produce quickly and you're trying to make it as easy and efficient to get to good talent so they could just, they could basically puff out their chest and, and a team of three could act more like a team of 10 or, or 30. Exactly, exactly. And also, you know, the fact that why, when we were on the marketing agency prior to starting Rise, we would have many different projects on many different platforms. Mm -hmm. It would be hard to, you know, keep track and manage the progress uh, of all the, the endeavors that we're doing. So we really built Rise with, uh, you know, the ambition of managing all these, you know, collaboration tools uh, on top of securing connections and, and with, uh, with, uh, with talent. Uh, but really facilitating that entire collaboration aspect. So, yeah. Which is, which is interesting. And, and, you know, when you, when you went to the, the ICO market, um, now I know not enough about crypto that I know, I know enough to be dumb with it. Let's put it that way. And enough to, enough, enough to know I should have invested more a long time ago is, is, what, is where we're at. Um, <laughs> However, you know, you looking, you being in the ICO market in 2017, for me, still seems really early. Like you were, uh, you know, an agency to help these ICOs happen and pop once you had your success with, with yours. Still seems on the curve pretty early. Um, now, again, maybe it's my bias because I've been inside crowdsourcing for myself over a dozen years. But now starting Rise, to me, this seems like there's more competition today for rise and and then the types of things you do versus maybe what your you know your your advisory was doing in 17 in terms of helping ICOs uh, ICOs get to market and launch um, do you feel the same way do you do you look at the the overall like gig economy marketplace and say okay it's it's getting a little busy now or it's getting a little saturated what's your what's your take on that is it feel saturated or do you still feel like there's tons of room to run if you differentiate the right way yeah, exactly. I think the, I think in the gig industry we're uh, in a phase of consolidation. You know, so we had the first major players that we know of, like Fiverr and Upwork, that were born, uh, you know, through mergers or just you know the normal way a couple of years ago, like about ten years ago. And now we're in a phase where we have more niche and vertical platforms that are starting to. Uh, to to see life essentially, mm. uh, and I think that will be a key to success is to really focus on a specific niche, specific vertical, and then either find you know adjacent natural markets that are you know next to what you're next to the vertical that you're doing, uh, or just keeping uh, and staying in that same vertical. So yes, the the market is is pretty busy. Uh, there's a couple of uh, there's a lot of marketplaces, but then it's all about finding your niche, you know. And and the good thing that I see about it is that 
there's a market for it. You know, it's not that we're trying to reinvent or like just invent an entirely new market. We're just, you know, trying to refine a wheel and we're just reinventing the wheel in a better way with more efficient, you know, more efficient experiences uh, on a couple of, of uh, topics within the marketplace. Yeah. And I think, and I, you know, of course, I, I'm still squarely in, in, in crowdsourcing and open innovation and open talent within Topcoder. And we see, we see the same thing. And again, we're focused on enterprises. However, we're just seeing more week after week, you know, month, quarter after quarter, certainly, and really faster than that, to be honest, um, more of the, um, the, the old guard being kind of like people, I would, I don't want to frame it as like people finally giving up on the, on the enterprise side. I mean that in a positive way of their guards finally coming down where they're accepting of virtual on demand. And I, you know, certainly COVID and, and the virus was, uh, it, it's been, it's been a horrible thing. And it's also been a, a incredible accelerant because people had no choice, but to be more accepting of, oh, wait a second, if they're talented and we're working on secure platforms and collaboration, you know, uh, collaboration tools anyway, well, then what do I care if they're, if they're next to me physically or halfway around the globe? And then it starts to be, so if that's the first thing that happens, say, well, I can work remote. For us, we've seen the next shoe to drop quickly after that is, well, what do I care if they're a full-time employee exactly. or if I'm just tapping them for project-based needs or task-based needs? It's like, yep. again, you as the PM or you as the, the manager of a team that's got to get things done, what does it matter? You know, yep. it's, it's all those barriers have really collapsed over, over the last six months. So for, you know, for your timing, you know, you, you brought Rise to Market again, all, all fairly recently, let's say, let's rewind this thing nine months ago, like 10 months ago, and COVID starts to become, you know, all, all anybody is talking about it, and it literally engrossing the entire world. What's your mindset at that point? Are, are you on the, oh man, this is going to be a tough time to launch? Or are you on the, wow, this is going to be, you know, a terrible event and kind of an amazing time to bring forth something like Rise? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if we rewind exactly a year ago, we were just starting the project uh, and starting the community uh, and doing some initial outreach while we were building the product. And as COVID hit, uh, you know, and it, it, you know, it got real. I would say towards yeah. the end of February, early March uh, yeah. in the US, we saw uh, the engagement on our side, the visits on our side, uh, and people just reaching out to us. All these endeavors accelerate pretty much. Uh, and at that point, we're just thinking, oh man, we need to get this out there as soon as possible because the demand is growing. And as we've seen, you know, in the past couple of months that followed, uh, you know, large companies going full remote, we just thought to ourselves, like the difference between a full-time employee that is remote and a somewhat full-time freelancer that is also remote is just going to shrink over time. And mm -hmm. when large companies or enterprise companies are realizing that, you know, startups are easy and, and quick to realize these things. You know, they're more right. open-minded. They're more, you know, their decision process are extremely uh, faster than large enterprises. But we're seeing it now that even large corporations, large organizations are, you know, hearing and open hearing, you know, to, these, uh, to, uh, to the freelance market, which is great. Yeah, and and we we've seen the same. So for for certain there, and we talked earlier about niches. You know, find, finding your niche, then really driving that home. So the reason, one of the reasons I want to have you on the pod to begin with was not just because hey, you put out a, a talent marketplace with designers and content creators. It was there was the big and there, which was the 
the application of some of the the new technologies that you're merging into gig economy, um, yeah. specifically blockchain and and uh, and, the, and the efforts around smart contracting and yeah. what that does for both sides of the marketplace. So, I love the fact that you took your expertise um, from kind of two different worlds and you mashed it up into Rise to say, hey, through this new vehicle. Uh, I can deliver, my team and my platform can deliver a new and and through that better experience, a more elegant experience. Uh, and of course, it's got this great backbone that everybody is, you know, still buzzing about a blockchain, you know, blockchain kind of has this, has like its ebbs and flows. And you see the Gartner, you know, you get the, you get that big spike and then you get that, what I think they call mm-hmm. it the, the, the trough of disillusionment, you know, whatever Gartner calls it. Um, and to me, it feels like they've actually been through that trough now and now it's ascending back up and back up quickly where the applications for enterprise uh, software is really becoming almost like wildfire in a good way, really starting to catch as to how and where this can be applied. So uh, can you take us through what you've done in terms of uh, using blockchain technologies directly infused on the Rise platform? Right, right. Okay. So, I mean, I'll, I'll try to make it as, uh, as easy as possible to, uh, to, to understand. Essentially, we are leveraging smart contracts uh, as part of our transaction processes uh, on the platform between freelancers and clients. So, a smart contract is a piece of code that is deployed to the blockchain. And that piece of code can automatically execute events of a, an agreement or a contract between a buyer and a seller. So in our case, we have a freelancer that is the seller and we have a customer, any a startup that is the buyer. What we do at Rise is that when a freelancer and a customer agree on a price for the project on a due date uh, and an, a number of revisions, we put all these variables uh, into smart contracts. Uh, and the freelancer and the customer are given digital wallets, which is essentially the tool they use to, you know, uh, to, uh, to input their digital signature to approve or reject events on that smart contract. And that's pretty much how we facilitate uh, the transactions with, uh, with, uh, with these technologies. The funds are held on the smart contract on the blockchain, which brings that security aspect uh, to, uh, to the transaction. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much uh, how we're doing, uh, how we're using this uh, technology. And, and the, the pieces that come up for me that are, I, I think, worth poking at that, that I can certainly relate to is from, from our top coder experience, one of the things we've done for basically ever is take larger elements of work, take large, again, working for enterprises, like, you know, doing, doing a large scale project for like a T-Mobile, like one of our customers for several years, but we'll take their project work and we will purposely atomize it. We'll break it down into much smaller chunks of work. Now we had done that, not because we were throwing it up on a blockchain. We had done that because um, through study and through research that was actually done by Harvard, uh, a lot of it was realized that if you could break the work apart and then really focus on the specification around that work and then put that put the smaller units of work out to the marketplace, um, the risk appetite, you know, the risk around that bit of work, because it's highly defined, it's specialized technology that that could come in and do it. So it's like the people who know that stack, who could come in and bang that kind of work out and see and see the kind of ways they're going to transparently make on that work, you really lowered the level of risk from an individual participant standpoint to say, wait, I could do that. 
because they mm-hmm. don't have to do the entire elephant. They could just do the bite that they're that they could be quite good at. Um, and that's worked, you know, I would just say marvelously for Top Coder. But we did that to to again to to mitigate risk from the talent side and then also to produce consistent quality because breaking it down to small pieces, which works very well for software, uh, ensured that specialists could go, come do something. You know, and I always use the analogy like, okay, you're building a house. You probably don't want the electrician to also be your architect and you don't want the architect to be your plumber. Like there are certain things you want people to do because they have the skills to go do them. Um, and I say all that to set up the, back to the smart contracts, you, you know, you're, you're breaking apart it seems to me very similarly, like part, like almost like milestones, right? Like areas of the project that had to be delivered. And then the IP transfer is the acceptance. And, and the nice part there to me, Hugo seems like you've, you have some beautiful like fulfillment statistics, like right then and there, like you contractually, like element by element, when specifically metrics driven, when IP was um, successfully accepted and, and that the, the digital wallets did their thing. And then you can measure against that and you could say, hey, well, on rise, uh, you know, these are the percentages, uh, th- this is the fulfillment. This is how often our stuff happens on on contract, on the timelines we've already pre-agreed to. Um, do you find that to be beneficial is, is that like a consequence of it? Is that beneficial it's, to your customers? We actually realized that after once we're, uh, you know, implementing these smart contracts that we could measure the time spent in yeah. between milestones and in between events to give a more robust uh, and automated rating system for our freelancers. Uh, because that's one thing we realized on other marketplaces is that these ratings are extremely subjective to clients and customers' emotions and opinions, especially in our field because we're dealing with design and copywriting, yes, which yeah. are creative and subjective professions. So we thought, you know, why don't we leverage these smart contracts on top of facilitating and securing the transactions? We can also, you know, use them to measure some aspects uh, of the collaboration. But one thing that is extremely fascinating for us at Rise is that, you know, in order to interact with smart contracts, obviously you need cryptocurrencies. Mm. Uh, we're deploying our contracts on, Ether- on the Ethereum blockchain, so we need ETH uh, in order to interact with these. So obviously we wanted to make sure that all these transaction uh, transaction cost aspect of things, because you need there are transaction costs when you interact with Ethereum transactions. We wanted to subsidize all of these, so we've managed to do that for you know for adoption, but. As we're leveraging the smart contracts, essentially the funds are on the smart contracts with, as, as, um, in forms of stable coins. I don't know if you, uh, if you know what these are, which are essentially cryptocurrencies pegged to fiat money, uh, to a dollar, for example. So uh, one USDC, which is the, 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 the stable coin we're using, is pegged to a dollar. Uh, paying our freelancers in these currencies in these stable coins unlocks a whole world of opportunities for them in a sense that they could, you know, there are tools, I don't know if you've heard of decentralized finance, but there are tools where you can, you know, just generate interest based on the holdings that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you send your stable coins to a contract, you generate interest. So we wanted to unlock that for our users as well, uh, which is what we think, you know, is, is aligned with you know, when we talk about the future of work and having freelancers more independent and owning their funds, uh, that's really where we, uh, uh, we, we think it's, uh, it's going and, and it's going to be exciting for them. Yeah, no, I think that's, 
it's it's the, this, the short easy word is super cool right it's it's, <laughs> it's just it's just interesting be, and I, and i love the fact that some of it is you set it up because the technology was a smart way to do it and then it had these really cool consequences that came along with it exactly you know it's like hey you can't it's you can't do it you you wouldn't get there traditionally it would not those consequences would not if that was a traditional wave that came in when it washed up on shore there wouldn't be this this float opportunity in a stable coin if you'd set this up in a different way. But because of the mechanisms, because of the the, the edge technologies that you're using um, to kind of power uh, the rise platform contractually, you get these advantages. You get to be in, the, in this nimble state, which which can be I I must think such a cool gravitational pull for next gen talent, like yeah. like you said, who want who want to who want to be paid that way. Want want it's not just about a big thing here, Hugo, for us at Topcoder is always, you know, one of our um, one of our philosophies, one of our beliefs, I should say, it's on our website is, you know, we believe in opportunity for all. Like it's it's hey, you still got to you still got to do the work. This is not opportunity for all. Like you know, everybody gets a trophy, and and everybody everybody is the outcomes are a hundred percent equal. No, but opportunity for all in the sense that. That work is open globally. If you've got the skills, or you want to, you want to go get the skills, and then come come do the work. Toss all traditional pedigree aside. Come on, you know, in our case, come on the top coder platform. Get get your ratings and go do the work, and then you could be doing amazing work for you know companies I mentioned, T-Mobile or NASA or you know the the, the dozens and hundreds of, of huge enterprises we work with. And for top coder. The opportunity then equates to you know socioeconomic uh, mobility, where you could live anywhere, and you don't have to go to the the highest pedigree universities to get to get really great opportunity and land land really cool jobs, especially now in the gig economy. And I think what you're doing moves it moves the needle even further with 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 the ideas of smart contracts and and really what becomes um, individual freedoms to say. Just because I happen to live here, because I ha- happen to be inside some sort of whatever tax system that person lives geolocation-wise, you're providing another level of financial freedom. Again, because of the technology choices you made from from the from the inception of Rise, which I think is really really cool. So it's not just the ability to get in and out of work uh, opportunity-wise, but really kind of choose how you want to be paid. In, in what yeah. in what ways do you want to be paid, and then what can you do with that as an individual? Uh, because it is so uber liquid because of the dynamics of crypto. So I just want to give you a, a, less of a question and more of a. That's why I think it's super cool. Uh, thank you. <laughs> we do think also it's uh, uh, honestly it's just opening a whole new world to them. You know, and and in our case, you know, we built it in a way we built the platform in a way that, you know. The future of work is decentralized. The future of work is democratized and global. Uh, and these technologies essentially facilitate these, you know, transactions cross-border without third parties involved uh, and extra layers. That's exactly what these these technologies were built for: peer-to-peer transactions. So, uh, in our case, in the freelance case, I think it's uh, it's a pretty strong use case. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and you mentioned the future of work there. So I think just pivoting a little bit to, you know, um, certainly from your lens of rise, but also more globally from a macro perspective, 
what what do you think is next? Like we we we've, we've had this COVID period. We've seen the acceleration to first first it was remote work. Then it's clearly well if it could be remote, then it could be virtual, and if it could be virtual, then it then it could be on demand. And that that's all happened really really quickly. So you go in your opinion. What is the next let's say two to three to maybe even five years hold for you know the quote unquote future of work for enterprises who who want to leverage uh, gig economy labor. Right. I think that essentially these, uh, you know, these freelancers are free agents uh, and companies have to realize that. They have to understand that they might be hiring someone for a couple of weeks, a couple of months or for a specific task, but then that person is going to move on to something else. Uh, and I think that as companies hire these freelancers, they have to make sure that through their onboarding process, through their, you know, uh, you know, while these people are leaving the companies, they have to essentially be flexible enough to, uh, to accommodate all these, uh, all these free agents, pretty much, and have to be in a mindset of uh, obviously remote, uh, which is what we've seen so far. Uh, and uh, yeah. So with that, Hugo, do you have an opinion from a, putting the kind of the enterprise cap back on, do you see a trend or a need for, uh, for large scale companies or even growth companies to have kind of a remote first viewpoint? And then if so, um, like just as you baked out an advisory to help people ICO back in the day, do you think there's room or, or better yet said like a need at this point for folks to come in and, and advise and really shape um, enterprises up so that they're able to just start to use and ingest it and again, make it normal to use uh, gig economy platforms at scale. So it's not just like pet projects, not just like one-off things that happen in the shadows, but actually become part of just how work gets done. What's the, I guess, what's that gap do you think exists for uh, most companies at this point? Right. I think we have to we have to enable them to create their own little you know pool of talents and human clouds, uh, which is how we call them. You know, like they have to. You have a large enterprise. They have their own you know onboarding processes, internal communication systems, internal collaboration tools. We have to enable you know these human clouds and human and, and little communities and networks uh, with for specific skills and have to find ways to implement them within these large enterprises, organizations, pretty much, uh, and tools. Uh, so, which is one thing we want to do at Rise, right? Like right now we're currently helping startups, um, you know, startups, startup, essentially. Uh, but uh, we are talking with enterprises and we're learning, you know, how these huge uh, and sometimes, you know, like with very obsolete ways of, you know, doing work, but we're understanding how they work so we can better, you know, uh, make our case like flexible for them to, uh, to, to use and leverage. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see if new net new roles become uh, evident at, at the sea level. Like I would say, you know, the 2010s became like the decade of like the chief digital officer. Like that became the thing, right? So now... Now we're, we're, I'm starting to see roles appear that are like, you know, chief remote or folks, you know, chief, chief talent. And it's not specifically at all a traditional HR role. It's not, it is just, it's, it's not, it's not even, it's, sometimes it's sitting in the HR function, but more often we're seeing it as its own thing where, you know, the, the, a sourcing module is there, but, but the centerpiece of that sourcing, or at least the main component or a big chunk of it, is not traditional labor. It, it's, in fact, mostly or mainly non-traditional labor um, and, and people putting a focus on that to figure that out. And, of course, then it's mashing up of, well, there's an entire 
there's myriad uh, platforms out there. There are there are tons of niche, and then some some what I would kind of call like a mega cap platforms that do more stuff that power gig economy um, employments and gig, gig economy work to get done. And how the heck as a corporation that is slower uh, by nature, just because of its sheer size, how can they ingest that? And how could they ingest it in a way that their lawyers are okay with, right? That the people that are, that are really focused on IP and security are just going to be comfortable with so that, and then how do you distribute it? And how do you, how do you manage new people and train them on like, hey, this is a new way to get your job done. And not just this, but like, you could, you could spread your wings and, and go be more innovative and go get more productivity done through, through these army of people that can help you. Um, it's a huge change. It's, and I feel like that part is still just scratching the surface. And we actually end up talking with a lot, a lot of the folks that come on Upriser were either those change agents or folks like you who are at the forefront with the platform and then really doing the, the, the work inside these, these companies to say, hey, this is what the future holds. This is this is a better way to do this, a better way for all sides to get their work to get, to get their work accomplished. And it's super exciting. I feel like we're again, we're just scratching that surface. And and Hugo, I'd love to um, you know, since you're certainly a certainly a futurist and you've been at the cusp and, and the the forefront of future work uh, and bringing shepherding and new technologies like we talked about throughout this podcast, I'd love to end with this question: Which technologies have you peaked right now that maybe maybe mainstream folks just don't have an eye on yet? Do you have like one or two that you uh, you could you know you could share with us? So I would stick with blockchain technology, essentially, uh, because there's many applications that we haven't seen yet, especially in the freelance work uh, and the, the you know, future work. Uh, and one thing that is of specific interest to us is uh, digital identity. You know, uh, what we've realized when building Rise uh, and building our rating system is that a lot of freelancers who are currently set up on other marketplaces have established you know, ratings, they've spent hours and you know uh, completed a lot of projects on existing marketplaces where they achieved in some you know most of the time robust reputations how do you make them shift to rise or to any other marketplace um, from a rating standpoint you know because they might think hey I don't want to you know uh, start from scratch again so a use case for blockchain would be to have these you know these ratings and 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 that digital identity assigned to someone on the blockchain that, so that they could essentially be as flexible as they want when it comes to the marketplace uh, they would like to be on and have their digital reputation follow them wherever they go. So I think that's one of, uh, one of the strongest uh, you know, use cases that haven't really been uh, explored so far and that we're trying to achieve it right. I completely, lo- I love that one so much. And it's, and it, it, you, really, you really nailed the pain point there because the pain point goes down to the individual. The pain point goes down to like somebody feeling like they have to up and move, right? It's like, wait, I just spent whatever it might be, six years, you know, like on this platform doing these things or even two years or 10 years, whatever, but real concentrated effort to, to get whatever it might be, to get badges, to get ratings, to to get credentialized in, in what is this, um, you know, kind of sealed off thing, right? And... But yet that currency that you built up is meaningless currently. It, it's currently, it's, you know, it, for most in, in most circumstances right now, it doesn't hold water if you try to take it out of that environment. It, it, it loses its value. Um, on the top coder side, we've been, we've been um, I'd say, 
benefited by the idea that our rating has been something that is that has had gravitational pull to it for a long time. So as as people are achieving on top coder, they're being rated versus their peers in sp very specific disciplines. And we have kind of like a karate belt system of color coded uh, ratings. And then of course, a numeric that goes along with it that you achieve it as you as you grow. We've seen those appear on CVs and you know and resumes across the globe, where a top quarter rating is right there. So much so that like you know if you go try to go through like Google engineering, there, there's steps where they're like, well, do you have a top quarter rating? If not, like go call us when you do. Basically, like go no. get a rating. However, that's still and that's still like an application and it's almost a lucky one you know like we certainly we certainly put a ton of time and effort into making it a real rating and it should mean something however for the most part when you take it outside of even our environment um you know the value gets dampened so how amazing would it be again all about uh, all about freedom right really back to that that concept of of digital freedom if that digital reputation uh, which is really your digital currency can be can, can just move uh, osmotically in and out of platforms, and there's an agreement and acceptance that yep, if if this thing, if this identifier says this person's legit and they're good, then then we're good. You know, like they, yeah. they, then they're welcome here as well because we know they can do the work. That's that is another level of, of freedom that's coming as well. Which really happy you brought that up because um, I think that'll open some eyes to some people who are. Thinking of thinking of gig platforms as their own silos, right? And if, and and right now, in many ways, they they kind of are, right? They kind of are. Even if you put great governance on top of it, even if you put a a managed layer of how you access them for enterprise and how you can come in and out of work, so it, so it becomes more normal, all good. But then when you get down to platform by platform, you still end up. A, probably a little bit siloed in, in what you, how you think you could use them. But if you have that vision to say, well, you know what, in the next five or 10 years, there will be some emergence where that digital identity becomes, be, you know, becomes not only verified, but then accepted. And then there's like a digital global exception and someone's going to win that race. Uh, yeah. and, and maybe a couple, couple people do. Boy, oh boy, what happens then? Like that the, yeah. you could blow the top off how you use this talent. And from yeah. the talent perspective, once again, their their freedom levels go through the roof again. It's like another exponential jump in how free they can be because the technology allows them to be. So that living on the blockchain to give it to give it that um the 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 verifiability is something I'm really looking forward to too. So right. really cool answer, man. So so everybody out there uh, listening to the Upriser podcast, hope you enjoyed this. Uh, I thought fascinating discussion with Hugo Finkelstein, the CEO and, and founder of Rise, and he's done quite a bit in his it is uh, his early years here <laughs> still. Uh, Hugo, if people want to check out Rise, what's the best way for them to contact you or contact Rise and find out more information? Yeah, riseworks.io. Essentially, and my email, hugo at riseworks.io, uh, and I'll share with you the link uh, and on LinkedIn. I mean, anywhere, you know, in these days, we're just uh, available anywhere if they want to find us. So uh, that's yeah. it.
That's it. And, and when we could go, you know, hopping on planes and, and, and doing all that things again, you know, get, get you, get your butt down to Brooklyn and, and you could take, take you go out for a beer or vice versa. Right. So it's, it's, it's all good. And, and we will get there soon enough. Uh, you know, let, let's not be troubled. We'll of course yeah. come through this. Uh, and, and I, I look forward to meeting you, you know, in, in person sometime as well, Hugo, but really, really excited that I got to get a chance to meet you just through some mutual friends that, that operate within the, uh, the, the open talent communities and fascinating stuff. Really, best of luck as as Rise continues to grow and keep us updated. If there's if there yeah. are new innovations you're applying or new applications of blockchain and smart contracts, ping us. I'm happy to bring you back on and update people or send some blogs or tweets out about it because I think the more people realize what the future holds them and how how they can apply it, there's going to be so many more winners across the board who are involved in this open talent movement to begin with. So really exciting stuff, Hugo. Congrats on everything. Thank you. Thank you. And likewise, thank you so much for, uh, for having me and uh, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the Upriser podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast, so it's pretty easy. And of course, I encourage you to follow us out on social at Upriser, U-P-R-I-S-O-R on Twitter. And also, I would encourage you to follow Topcoder at Topcoder, T-O-P-C-O-D-E-R.